and welcome to Way Too Twog's Bagpipe and History Podcast, where I, your host Jeremy, explores the possible repertoire of 18th and early 19th century bagpipers. Come and let's enjoy some tunes. I am back here in North Dakota uh, after driving cross-country and having some really awesome bagpipe adventures. Uh, stopped and visited with some people. Stuck around a couple extra days to uh, record an interview and chat with uh, Tiber Falsette, which is going to be coming up as an episode in a couple uh, a couple episodes from now. And uh, yeah, it was great. It was a great time uh, driving across the country. Um, I'm still, I, I left my microphone stand in North Carolina, so I ran to my office and grabbed the old one, and uh, I also grabbed the microphone that I thought was going to fix my sound woes, and it didn't, um, and I remembered why I didn't like that microphone after doing some experimentation, so um, we'll see. I think I have figured out how to do the compressor and limiter so it works, although honestly, listening back uh, on my drive cross-country, I think I fixed some of the audio just by amplifying it louder and kind of ignoring the clipping. But uh, anyway, I uh, haven't heard anybody say one way or the other. So anyway, apologies for chatting so much about uh, that at the beginning. Um, so this episode is sort of a continuation of the last one, right? So last episode, we looked at Larry Grogan, uh, or Coppers and Brass, and I explored many different settings for it. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. That was one of the better performing episodes I've put out in a while, especially for the summer. There's always a good dip in the summer for listenership, which makes me realize I should should really just pause the podcast, finish the albums, and then go back to it, and I might do that next year. Um, but anyway, uh, except for, yeah, like I said, a lot of people listened to the last episode. And so this episode is kind of continuing on where we left off. So in order to, to look at all the different sources for Larry Grogan, I spent a lot of time looking at pieces of music either I hadn't seen in a while or were new to me. And uh, especially in the early days of, of this new version of the podcast, I really liked exploring kind of what else was on the page and kind of flipping around in the old collections to see if anything jumped out at me. And there's so many, some really great music uh, showed up, kind of looking at adjoining pages to where Larry Grogan settings uh, showed up. So that's what we're going to look at. Uh, but first, you know, the whole reason that episode happened was because I taught the slow session in Carbro how to play Coppers and Brass, and it was a really rewarding experience. Like, it really helped thinking about that tune differently. I've never actually played a tune that way. We just played it uh, essentially phrase for phrase, just over and over and over again. So people could get a muscle memory. Um, and it was interesting seeing the way that they, like I was teaching them, but I asked them to tell me how to do it. And so it was definitely not a way I had all these like intellectual approaches that I was going to talk about, um, which I think are still sound. It's interesting after looking at the tune for so much, I realize now that coppers and brass, like my favorite tune, Lark in the Morning, like coppers and brass is just the opposite of that, you know? So if coppers and brass is Lark in the morning is it just starts like it just flips where the phrase begins, right? Um 
so it makes sense that I like those two tunes. But um, but there's something that Coppers and Brush really does nice that I didn't realize until playing it so slowly over and over and over again, phrase by phrase. That B part, though. Like I talked about that, I think, last episode, especially hearing my mother-in-law, Lynn, play it on piano. Like that part hits. But playing it over and over again so slowly, you can really feel like, oh, this is the tension, right? Like this is the tension of the tune is that that kind of off note in the scale and then the resolution to it. So uh, anyway, here is a quick clip, uh, a quick clip. Well, and that's not, this is a slow clip of uh, the session and Carver playing the tune. So it's sort of weird to know that there's uh, half a dozen people out there that all play coppers and brass incorrectly the same way that I played incorrectly. Uh, I don't know. feels good. feels bad. I don't know. I like it. I think I like it. Uh, I certainly like these folks playing it. So anyway, here's Coppers and Brass, and we'll get into kind of exploring the sources a bit.
Yeah, unfortunately, that was... I don't think that was the like, final take they wanted to do. We we might have recorded another one, but my, my Zoom... This is the first time... It's been interesting kind of using the Zoom recorder as an out-in-the-wild recorder again, but it ran out of battery, so uh, which was a bummer. Like I, I got some really... That session is, is kind of a hoot. They had some... They've been playing together for a long time, and they had... Uh, many of the folks there had like done gigs together and had bits worked out where unexpected to me in the middle of a, a tune named for a chicken i think the hens not the hens march maybe the crested hen um but like the third time through the tune they started clucking it rather than, <laughs> rather than playing it on their instruments which came as a hell of a shock sitting next to everybody where you're like i think i almost understand what this tune is and then all of a sudden starting uh, it was a fun a fun surprise for uh, a slow session anyway um so yeah, I wanted to kind of explore the sources a bit, uh, and we'll, we'll do this chronologically as well. And so let's go um, to the 1730s, right? So, um, you know, Larry Grogan is a gentleman piper, and I think one of the, the entries for the tune on Traditional Tune Archive mentions that he was a contemporary with Jack Latin. And I don't know if they mean, if there's like a, a reason to uh, assume that, or just somebody did the math and figured out like, oh, Larry Grogan's around in the 1730s, Jack Latin died in the 1730s, they probably knew each other. Um, might be more than that, I should look into it. But it is interesting that like Larry Grogan shows up everywhere as a tune, but so does Jack Latin. And kind of to that point, Jack Latin is in the same collection, um, like within a couple pages of where Larry Grogan shows up in Johnson's Caledonian Country Dances. Um, this is another collection from the 1730s. If you're not familiar, if you don't remember Jack Latin, remember he's the figure who is a musician and dancer, probably better known as a dancer. And after a night of, I think, gaming and a bit of drinking, he kind of took a challenge to dance his way home uh, in Ireland. And he danced home successfully, like did this whole long stretch of dancing and then dropped dead. And so, like, there's this incredible story of this guy who danced his life away. Um, and there's this great tune with it. Um, I've done a couple episodes on Jack Latin. There's also a really great uh, Irish traditional music archive kind of going to the Well series. I think it's the first episode about Jack Latin. I'll try to link to that stuff so you can get familiar with the tune. But it has me wondering, like, Johnson's Caledonian Country Dances is from the 1730s. William Dixon's manuscript is from the 1730s. And both of these sources have Jack Latin in it. Uh, Jack Latin died, I think, in 1732 or 33. So it's just like, man, he dies and immediately this tune is all over the place. And it makes sense. It's a good tune, but it's also got a great story with it. So maybe that's why it was so popular. Or maybe, like Larry Grogan, maybe the tune is already going around before he died. And just the fact that he died doing this, you know, tragic, but also kind of comedic thing solidify that this tune is going to be super popular forever. I'm not 100% sure if this tune is written for his death or just to celebrate him before he died. But anyway, here it is. Uh, I've played Jack Latin on my first um, album on Highland Pipes, um, but it's a tune, you know, it shows up in a lot of kind of border and English sources. So I did it here on um, my John Swain border pipes, which are the ones in G that have kind of the more French European fingering and I really like them. So anyway, here it is on border pipes. This is Jack Latin from Johnson's Caledonian country dances, which is probably published uh, in kind of the early 1730s.
I really love that. Like having that, that that lead up to it is really pleasant. Um, okay, here's another uh, kind of familiar tune. This is Fiddle Faddle, uh, also from around the same page uh, in Caledonian Country Dances in the 1730s. This is Tail Toddle. Uh, that's how we've played it on the podcast before. Joseph McDonald McDonald that way and uh, is a lovely tune. But anyway, here it is as Fiddle Faddle. It was a, kind of a good back-to-back thing there. So uh, Jack Latin is John Swain's G border pipe chanter, and that uh, fiddle fanel was John Swain's A lowland chanter. So I switched back and forth between those two a fair bit on this episode. Uh, lately, I'll be honest, I have really been favoring the G chanter. I really like that French-style fingering and the ease with which it gets up to the, the second octave. Um, as you heard there, the A chanter, the lowland style chanter that John makes also gets up to the second octave, but really only like high B and high C and this high C is sort of questionable if you're going to get there or not. Uh, whereas the G chanter, it goes up to the, you know, like the equivalent in Highland piping to like, it, it, you get a whole octave and a half anyway. It's, uh, it's really nice. But, uh, anyway, the fingering is different and it doesn't really lend itself well to playing it like a Highland bag, but you really do have to kind of get your brain around something different. But anyway, I still, I kind of, I don't know, maybe once a month or two, uh, I'm talking with people about like them getting border pipes. I've had, uh, two or three conversations with people just this week, uh, who are thinking about getting border pipes and interested in John Swain's pipes. So, uh, anyway, if you're ever wondering what exactly is going on here, cause I switched back and forth between them without talking about it too often. Um, there's, that was the difference. So, uh, anyway, okay. So next tune, this is also from Johnson. Apologies. So I left my mic stand in North Carolina. I have another one coming, but this episode has to come out before it's going to get here. So I've got my old mic stand, which has these springs on it. And, uh, every time I touch the desk, it kind of makes a big, horrible sound. Uh, anyway, this is another tune I really love. This is Steward's Rant. Um, we're still in Johnson's Caledonian Country Dances. Um, we're still going to be, I think this is Border Pipes again. Um, Anyway, lovely tune. I feel like I've played it before, but I'm not sure if it's called Steward's Rant or something else. Anyway, here is Steward's Rants from Caledonian Country Dances.
Yeah, so again, that's on G pipes rather than A. So it's the, the border chanter is what John Swain calls that. And But yeah, I just love that. Well, yeah, love that tune. Um, okay, this next one, I, I was kind of, I was trying to put these in like, to, to put my most favorite ones towards the end. And I, I don't know, these last three are all pretty good. So this next one is called The Hermitage. Uh, and it is also just a cracking tune from, again, this is that 1730s Johnson's Caledonian Country Dances. Eventually this is published by Walsh. Um, but anyway, this is the version for Johnson. Here's The Hermitage. <laughs> Again, we're back to the G border pipes there, and yeah, I just love that tune. The the when the G pipes are like when they hit that that second octave and kind of up into that upper register, I really like it. There's a challenge. The, the one thing I will say about the swing pipes that there's a pretty steep learning curve on is they 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 do require kind of a delicate touch, and they still kind of drop out a lot if you're not hitting everything just quite right. So there's a couple of dropouts I'm noticing in these, which like I can I can make go away with practice and like just luck maybe sometimes. But um, for podcast takes, I generally don't worry about it, especially not when I was in North Carolina where we, where we recorded all these things. All right, here's the last tune from Johnson's Caledonian Country Dances for now. I kind of think I'm going to revisit this collection because it's super good. Uh, but this is A Trip to the Laundry, which again, I think uses the second octave really effectively. If I remember correctly, I'm sure I will come back and say something about it afterwards. Thank you. 
Yeah, lovely tunes. Uh, so those are all from Johnson's Caledonian Country Dances, or yeah, Caledonian Country Dances from the 1730s. So let's jump forward a decade into the 1740s. Uh, this is another collection of Caledonian Country Dances, this time from John Walsh. Like I said, John Walsh eventually published uh, some of Johnson's stuff. So uh, again, like I was, I was trying to find the thread from... Uh, Larry Grogan and I couldn't find the oldest Walsh setting that had it but it was in Johnson so I think there might have been I might have misunderstood what traditional tune archive was saying or traditional tune archive might be calling that older Johnson stuff Walsh I'm not sure Uh, but anyway um, now let's look at Walsh's stuff proper so this is from 1748 this is Walsh's Caledonian Country Dances volume 2 and we're just going to start off with this tune Pray Be Civil instruments that was my c uh, richard paco's chanter uh with tenor and baritone drone tuned to c and my um bavare ellen pipes i can't get the bass drone quite to tune all the way down to c I, I have a really cool effect i can get by like stuffing some paper in it but i haven't been able to recreate that on command for a while uh, especially not since i've uh, adjusted the Paco's chanter a bit it's gotten a little bit harder to play based on where i put the bridle and that doesn't let the bass drone do all of the things that I wanted it to do. Uh, anyway, here's another tune from Walsh's Caledonian Country Dance, this time on Whistle. This is The Bush. tune on whistle this is the mouse trap again this book is caledonian country dances from 1748 Ooh. Mm-hmm. 
and one last tune from John Walsh uh, and his Caledonian Country Dance book from 1748. This is Swam the Decks. And again, using those G border pipes from John Swain. And I don't know, I just I love the sound of those G drones and the G chanter. It just really works. really works. Maybe this is just going to turn into a border pipe podcast uh, for a while. I don't know. Uh, that's not true, guys. I order, I've got a new chanter coming. I'm so excited. I've got a very old new chanter. Uh, uh, well, that's that's for a future episode, I guess. <laughs> but uh, anyway, here is Swab the Decks from uh, John Walsh. be time to revisit Walsh altogether. Uh, again, if you have questions about John Walsh and uh, his various music collections, I did something of a discussion of him as a publishing power, uh, I think at season four, maybe season five. It's a while back. I'll uh, Maybe I'll link to that or might be good to repost that one as a rerun at some point here in the future if it stands up to time. Uh, anyway, leaving the 1740s behind, uh, kind of, sort of, let's go to Oswald. Oswald's collections also probably come from the 1740s. He died in the 1750s, um, and a lot of his stuff was printed by uh, Bremner, Robert Bremner, who kind of, John Walsh kind of prints a lot of other people's work, and then Bremner takes over. I think Bremner might have taken over and bought some of Walsh's plates and stuff. Um, I know somebody has that relationship. Uh, one of these 18th century publishers does. But anyway, uh, Oswald uh, was a big court music guy, uh, benefited from kind of the Italian interesting, the, the interest in Italian music and education uh, in Edinburgh, and has a bunch of really great uh, collections of tunes called the Caledonian Pocket Companions, where often what James Oswald is doing is taking a common Scottish melody, um, playing it, and then adding a couple variations. Sometimes those variations kind of stand out as noticeably Italian or uh, kind of that more continental influence, and sometimes they don't. 
don't know. I really like his Larry Grogan setting that we played last week. I think that stands up to any kind of four-part Irish setting without being too noticeably Italian. Uh, anyway, let's do... Let's see. First, we're going to do two, two from Oswald. Uh, let's do One Evening As I Lost My Way first. So this is probably from the 1750s or 1740s. Um, the version I'm looking at is printed in the 1750s by Bremner. Um, anyway, this is from The Caledonian Pocket Companion from Oswald, one evening as I lost my way. a sucker for those G pipes and they get up well under that high octave. Uh, all right, one more tune from Oswald. This is The Birth of Kisses on Ellen Pipes. Not the best tune I've ever recorded, but I think that it's got some potential, so I don't want to leave it off the podcast and then forget about it. So, uh, anyway, let's leave Oswald behind, and that means that we have left the 1750s behind, and we are going to uh, 1763. This is from Robert Bremner. Um, 
So this is Robert Bremner's delightful pocket companion for the German flute. Uh, he's got a lot of tunes in here, and some of them I tried to play on pipes, but really a lot of them only sounded good on on whistles. So anyway, let's start with the Prussian march. And this next one is called A March in Ronaldo, again from Robert Bremner's 1763, Delightful Pock and Companion for the German Flute. sure if I've read the entire title, but he mentions that this is containing a choice collection of the most celebrated Italian, English, and Scotch tunes. Um, and I think it's something that's really easy to overlook, right? That the the impact that Italian music and culture had in Scotland, like that tour that is sort of well known of, you know, wealthy uh, people going on the, the grand tour of Europe and of Italy, like Scotland was far from immune to that. So Robert Bremner, um, I mean, even though he's not saying this is a, a collection of Scottish tunes, but like putting Italian tunes next to Scotch ones makes sense. Bremner's printing music in Scotland. Um, and we definitely see that Scottish influence. So anyway, here's um, a couple marches. He just got two marches on one page. Uh, and again, I recorded these on border pipes, a couple different, t- you know, both sets that I had tried it on inland pipes and like nothing really worked right. And then like, oh, right. It's a flute book. Try it on the low whistle. So anyway, here's a couple more marches just played quick on that low whistle. Thank you. 
And here's that next march. I think these are lovely tunes. I do kind of want to try them on Highland Pipes too, but uh, mostly because they pinch up to high B and C. Anyway, here's the next march on the page. here's another march this is the grenadier march and we're going to do it on bagpipes but um i guess just to continue this trend of of comparing the two uh john swain border pipes i have we'll do it back to back so this will be first the john swain border pipes in a and then the john swain border pipes in g and to just clarify this again remember john swain calls my a chanter a lowland chanter that's one that's fingered like highland pipes and the g chanter i have is what he calls the border pipe chanter which is more like a french or kind of continental bagpipe anyway so we're going to start out with the a and then i'll just go straight into the g after that So there you go, that was the A pipes first and then the G, uh, both playing the Prussian 
uh, or the Grenadier March rather, and those tune that tune is from Bremner's Pocket Companion for the Flute from the 1763. Remember, Bremner kind of printed all kinds of music in Scotland and eventually England. I uh, did like a two or three part series on him that I reposted last year as a rerun, uh, but you can go listen to more about Robert Bremner if you'd like to know it. Uh, anyway, so let's leave the 1760s behind, keep this chronologically or chronological uh, train moving. Uh, and so we did play some tunes from the 1770s to fill in our... I really didn't plan it, but we got every decade covered. Uh, it's sort of funny, this weird thing that we do where we, we clump eras into decades as if that makes any stinking sense. Uh, it, it often doesn't. Uh, but anyway, here is uh, some tunes from the Vicar's Manuscript. Uh, Own Kind Deary, we'll start with. Let's do one last tune from uh, the Vicar's Manuscript. This is, again, probably around 1776 or so, and this is The Merry Thought. Again, uh, cool sounding sea chanter there. All right, let's move on to the 1780s. We're keeping this going in this weird chronological order. Uh, this comes from James Aird. Uh, Aird, again, I don't know if he really... Aird lives so big in my head that it feels like he's on par with Bremner and so much of his music has survived. I'm not sure if he was. I don't think Aird published a ton of stuff. I think he published his collections. He was also a dancing master. I, I keep meaning to like do more on James Aird. He's a really interesting cat, I think. And his um, his fiddle and one of his books is in a museum where my buddy Adam Sanderson works in Glasgow and should I should bug Adam to do more <laughs> to help me out understand James Aird a little bit better. Uh, but anyway, let's uh, do some tunes from James Aird. This is from Volume One, so it's 1782. Uh, James Aird's collections of uh, selection of Scotch, English, Irish, and foreign airs. There's lots of different volumes of this, and uh, some of them are printed after he died, but they're still called Aird's collection often. Uh, but anyway, it's the first one he's definitely alive for. So let's start with um, the Amoris Goddess. 
Alright, and this next one from Aired sent me on such a deep rabbit hole that it's going to wind up being another episode in the years and months to come, maybe. Um, it kind of led me to a collection that I'm going to use almost exclusively for like the Halloween episode, because it all is kind of sounds funky. But this is uh, The New English, or La Nouvelle Anglaise. Um, I am sure I have played this as a different tune. On Traditional Tune Archive, it comes up as uh, Herefordshire Lasses. Um, but yeah... I don't know. I don't know what else I know this tune as, but I know I've played it before. Maybe I've just played it from air. I don't think so, though. Uh, but anyway, lovely tune. Here is the new English or La Nouvelle Anglais. We're going to hear one more tune from Aired before this is over, but um, I'm going to keep it for the end because it's my favorite tune. I think it's my favorite tune, um, but we're not done with the 1780s yet. We're going to go to 1787. This is the High Road to Dublin uh, and the Irish Widow. I'm going to play from the Hibernian Muse. Uh, the Hibernian Muse is, a, a, again, really cool collection of tunes, of Irish tunes, uh, with a little essay at the beginning of it. Um, I don't know. It's just cool to me. Like the why, we're really getting into like a wide variety of music that we're getting to. And remember, the thread that's that all of these have in common is that these are tunes that are found in printed collections where Larry Grogan or Coppers and Brasses is within a page or three of where all these settings are from. So it's just I don't know, like association of interesting tunes like throughout history. Like there's a pretty good variety of the types of places where Larry Grogan or Coppers and Brasses shows up, uh, including Hibernian Muse here, which is, you know, dedicated. This is Irish music uh, for English market here. So let's start with the High Road to Dublin.
that's pretty good. And uh, now one more tune from the Hibernian Muse. Again, this was from 1787. This is The Irish Widow. So similar to the Hibernian Muse, you know, the Hibernian Muse is published in England, but supposedly Irish music. Uh, The next collection is one of my favorites. This is O'Farrell's Pocket Companion for the Union Pipes, or Irish Bagpipes. Uh, This is published in London, but by an Irish piper, and it's a collection of Irish tunes. And one of the reasons I really like O'Farrell, right, is because of his relationship to uh, the stage and kind of performing for these operas um, that the Northwest Company guys would have gone to, the people that I uh, kind of reenacted for a living for a while, uh, their bagpiper. But before O'Farrell, uh, a piper named Courtney played for Oscar Malvina, which was the, the big play based on Ossian's poems, or Ossian's poems that was showing at Covent Garden Theater. And in O'Farrell's collection, uh, Pocketbook Companion, or Pocket Companion Volume 3, uh, he has Courtney's Favorite, which I assume is a reference to the Courtney that played for Oscar and Malvina before O'Farrell took over. Uh, anyway, it's an interesting tune here. So this is Courtney's favorite from O'Farrell. This is probably around 1808 or so. I have a hard time telling exactly when the Pocket Companions are published by O'Farrell, but I think I've seen the date 1800 thrown around, sometimes 1798 for his first book, which was a tutor for the Irish bagpipes, which I keep meaning to record as an audiobook, but haven't yet. Um, And then he's got these Pocket Companions that seem to come out within you know, within the decade anyway, like the first 10 years, like 1800 to 1810, sometime along those lines. I've got 1808 in my notes here for some reason. I'm not sure if I found a good reason for that before. But uh, anyway, very early 19th century. This is Courtney's favorite from O'Farrell.
this next one from O'Farrell is Deirdre's Lamentation for the Sons of Uznoth. Apologies if I pronounced Uznoth incorrectly. Uh, but yeah, here's a nice little tune here. from a feral is meeting of the waters this one i feel like i might have a bit wrong but uh here it is anyway things I did on my trip was stop and visit with my buddy Ryan Benke. Uh, last time I saw Ryan in person, he taught me how to make, how to play crayons. And I've had, I've been able to play crayons for a long time. So it's been a long time since I visited Ryan in person. Um, and this time he had me working on, or I, I got him to teach me how to do a triplet on a, I think it's ACA triplet or something like that. Uh, but I'm trying to like, Ryan spontaneously was the second real dedicated Dylan Piper to say, what is with these E doublings that you play all the time? Um, I was like, oh, okay, I should maybe try to figure it out. So anyway, he's, I was trying to figure out these E doublings, these E triplets rather, uh, which definitely have a more Illin pipey sound than E doublings, which do make you stand out like Highland Piper. Uh, I can hear it now. Um, but anyway, uh, I was uh, experimenting around with that a little bit here on this tune. This is the Carrie Jig from O'Farrell, which I'm really quite fond of.
Alright, leaving behind the wonderful world of O'Farrell, uh, let's get back into that weird collection of piano tunes. So, this is uh, Oh, Aaron Moore Loved Aaron Moore. Remember, the this is the Songs of Ireland Without Words with Piano by J.T. Seren. And so, since it's written for piano, it is not in a key that really makes a ton of sense on Ellen Pipes, but I have done some adjustments. Uh, kind of transposed everything up a note and uh, I think played it on a C chanter as well. Uh, I don't actually remember, and so I'll be listening along with y'all. So, anyway, here is Oh, Aaron Moore, Loved Aaron Moore from 1853, the song, uh, the uh, songs, of, songs of Ireland Without Words. All right, so that's the 1850s. That means we should uh, move on to the 1860s, right? Uh, definitely with a bit of a gap there from our going decade to decade. Uh, but next, let's do Goodman's collection. So Goodman, right, is mid-19th century, and there's some crackergun tunes uh, in this book, as always, and especially, uh, or coincidentally, I guess, next to uh, where coppers and brasses was or, or larry grogan or humors of Venice Timon. uh i guess grogan had humors of venice or not grogan rather but uh goodman had humor humors of venice diamond woof it is 3 30 a.m and i am getting tired uh but anyway this is will gang no more to young town which is definitely a tune i have played on highland pipes a number of times for the podcast before
All right, I'm having a hard time making out Goodman's penmanship exactly, but I think this is Knight of an Irishman. Uh, like I said, Goodman's also kind of mid-second half of the 19th century. Knight of an Irishman, I think. Sorry, I'm clearly just trying to sprint through because I see how short we are on time. Uh, this next one is Farewell to Old Ireland. I kind of love this. This is a weird little 2-4 kind of country dance sounding number uh, in Goodman's book. And then we'll move on to our last tune. So anyway, first, uh, good night to Old Ireland. Farewell to Old Ireland, rather. So 
Yeah, this episode has been exploring the sources that are like next to Larry Grogan, right? So uh, last episode, we played a bunch of different settings at Coppers and Brass, uh, spanning the same spread of time from the 1730s up until the 1860s. Well, like, obviously all these things, I, I don't know, I could, I feel like there is a change in the type of music, right? As much as all those settings of Larry Grogan sounded the same, the type of music we find on the pages next to Larry Grogan or Coppers and Brasses or Humors of Ennis Diamond, it's, it's quite different. I don't know that I have a lot of, like, profound things to say about it other than uh, it shows how far-reaching popular melodies were, right? Like, Larry Grogan or Coppers and Brass is a pretty recognizable Irish tune, but it'll sit next to a collection of country dances, it'll sit next to a collection of Italian uh, dance tunes, Irish music, um, these kind of popular uh, Caledonian country dances, or just collection of, of tunes, right? Like, um, and like, as much as Coppers and Brass sounds like a, a standard Irish jig, there's lots of music that's adjacent to it that doesn't. Uh, and I think it, what it tells me anyway, and, and I don't know that this is necessarily, uh, maybe this isn't revelatory for anybody, but for me it is to realize that, um, you know, these silos are, we, we kind of, people are, are fighting against the silo now of like everything has to be contained in a certain type of music for a certain type of instrument and a certain type of performer. But, um, and we have people breaking out of the mold and it's like, oh, they're breaking out of the mold. But I think that that desire to break out of the mold, pay pop, play popular music, play tunes that catch in your ears, like people have been doing that as long as there's been music around, right? And I think the, the nice thing for 18th century musicians it's like there was so much printed stuff out there. And I, I often wonder, like, were there 18th century musicians that were the same level of musically educated as I am? Which is to say, not very much, but can read sheet music poorly. Like, did did bagpipers in the 18th century ever have the experience I had of asking my bagpipe teacher, Ann Brown, what the little sharps and flats are what the treble clef was and her saying don't worry about that jeremy you're a bagpiper you'll never need to worry about that like did anybody have that experience in the 18th century or no i kind of think they didn't there's part of me that thinks you were either completely illiterate in reading music or you were really well trained and knew what all that stuff meant but you know then i think of donald mcdonald's tune collection where he starts by essentially saying here are the most common popular dance tunes you can teach, like, essentially, Donald McDonald is saying, you already know these tunes. Here's how you write them out in music notation. So he's kind of teaching you how to be able to read music without going into very much of that theory stuff that would make it so you'd understand what all music looked like, but you could understand Donald McDonald. And Donald McDonald does a pretty good job of writing music. So if you kind of use it as a starting point, you could stumble around <laughs> like I do through these collections and figure out that I need to move the note up one note up or one note down to make it sound good or play it on a bunch of different instruments until one of them takes, but uh, a bunch of different whistles and bagpipes anyway. Anyway, kind of along those same lines uh, of experimentation, not being in a silo and experimenting uh, today and 
being empowered to, even if you're presenting stuff as like a historic music. Uh, this is arid setting. So this is 1782 setting, uh, for the Braves of Angus. And I absolutely love this tune. And it's one of these that sits really well on the sea chant with the D drones going. So, you know, it's my favorite and that's how we're going to go out. Um, also, Hey, last week, if you haven't heard it yet, there's like, I've, I've mentioned a couple times this massive interview I did with James over at droning on, but it's out. Uh, James was kind enough to release it last week. So, uh, people would get hyped and maybe check out the podcast and Bannock's a barley meal album and, uh, buy a t-shirt, uh, as this episode goes live. Oof. I think you might have, yeah, I think you might have missed the sale. Let me just check the date here. How many days are there in June? Yeah, this episode's going to come live just as you've missed the t-shirt sale. Um, but uh, but you can still buy Way Too Talk merch, and I appreciate it. So, And Bannock's at Barley Meal, too. As I'm recording this, I'm waiting for 10 physical copies of Bannock and Barley Meal to show up. Um, once I see them and see if they are like decent quality, I'm a little worried about the print. Um, and I need 10 because I'm going to a gig in Thunder Bay, and I want to have some CDs to give to a museum there. But uh, anyway... You can check out all that stuff on Bandcamp, and soon uh, we'll have some physical copies of Bannocks of Barley Meal available as well. Um, yeah, support the podcast by going to patreon.com slash waytotog. Thank you so much to all my Patreon supporters over there. Um, I've been posting a lot more bonus episodes, sort of, I guess, lately. There's a couple early episode stuff over there right now. And uh, if you want to join the podcast over there on Patreon, again, I always release tune books that go with the episodes if it makes sense to do so, if the stuff's like on a copyright. Um, and if you don't want to join the Patreon, that's fine. You can still find links to all that stuff in the show notes. You can kind of click through and find the archival sources that I'm using for this music. So uh, thanks everybody for listening. Sorry, this one's going a little bit long. Hopefully the sound issues are somewhat better. Um, Really, the podcast just it just listens better on headphones, and I'm, I'm hoping to make it so it works good on speakers because I like listening to podcasts in the car too. Um, but yeah, it, I spent about an hour and a half working on it tonight, and it uh, defeated me a bit. Uh, I'll try my old tricks and see if it see if it works. But anyway, I will see you all in a couple weeks with one of my way too talk in the wild episodes. So still got some North Carolina recordings and some guest pipers to come for the next couple episodes. So anyway, here is James Aird's Braze of Angus. Cheers. <laughs>